0: Welcome, everyone. Such a joy to see your faces here on this Lord's Day as we continue our study of the book of Galatians. Now, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians, chapter five. We'll turn our attention to verses two through six this morning. You can find that on page 974 in the Pew Bibles if you don't have your own Bible this morning. Now, As you're turning there, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the story of Dr. Seuss's Sneetches. They are the tall, yellow, bird-like creatures in his story by the same name, the Sneetches. Half of them have green stars on their bellies, and half of them do not. And if you're not familiar with the story or want to read it again... We included a link to an online version of it in the preparing for the Lord's Day. So you can go back and read that and read it to your kids. It'll only take a couple minutes. Now, rather predictably, the star-bellied sneetches and the plain-bellied sneetches, as they are referred to, do not get along. The star-bellied sneetches walk around with their snoots in the air, believing that they are better than the plain-bellied ones. Now, when Sylvester McMonkey McBean shows up with his star-putting-on machine, the plain-bellied sneetches believe that their problems are gone because now they can have a star and fit in with everyone else. And yet, rather predictably, this doesn't solve the problem because all of those who had stars to begin with have their stars taken off so that they can be distinct now from those who had stars put on. And it goes back and forth until finally everyone is all out of their money, all paying Mr. McBean, everything that they had to have a star put on or a star taken off until they're all mixed up. And they finally realize, in the words of Dr. Seuss, that Sneeches are Sneeches, whether they have stars or not. It's a silly story, but one that connects well with an experience that both children and adults are familiar We want to be accepted. We want to be seen and declared good and valuable and righteous. I have read or heard somewhere that this desire for social acceptance from others hits its height when you're in early adolescence. That's middle school age. You want to fit in. You dread being criticized or left out from your group. When I was in middle school, every boy wore a starter jacket. They were these loud colored overstuffed garments with a sports team logo across the back. Mine was the Seattle Supersonics jacket, which meant it was colored with a lovely green and yellow theme. Man, I look good. But when I wore it, it meant that I was a part of the group. I belonged. I had my star. These markers of acceptance change as we get older it may be a status symbol such as a car or a watch that declares your wealth. It may be a degree or a title that shows your importance in society. Or maybe it is merely a way of acting in public or dressing at work. It might be a social media post excoriating a political villain. A daily Instagram pic from a flattering angle. Or a tweet declaring your outrage over a peewee football drill. Maybe it's a flag that you fly in your yard that says you support some cause or some group or some disaffected people. You see, we engage in our daily rituals to ensure that we maintain our star status. And if we ever fall under the misfortune of being a plain bellied snitch, we lie awake at night dreaming of a star putting on machine that will make us accepted, approved, worthy again in the eyes of others. Because whether you're an awkward middle schooler, a hipster millennial or a retired boomer, you hope that others will see you and that they will declare that you are righteous, that you are good, that you are accepted. This is the struggle that the Galatians are having. They've received the gospel. They have from all initial outward signs placed their faith in Jesus Christ. However, a group of false teachers have come in among them and they've begun teaching that they need a bit more to be accepted. They needed a star so that everyone would know their status as a member in the family of God. And the star was circumcision. These false teachers explained circumcision is the mark, the sign in the flesh that distinguishes those who are truly accepted by God and those who are not. And like the new kid in school who's trying to catch up with the local fashion trends, the Gentile Galatians feel like, hey, we're new to this whole thing. We're new to this whole family of God. We're just catching up. And we need to fit in. We've got to get with it. Yet as we will see, Paul seeks to pull back the veil of such foolish thinking and reveal the truth that it is only through faith in Christ alone that anyone is accepted as righteous. So hear now the word of the Lord. Galatians chapter 5 will begin in verse 1 and read through verse 6. This is God's holy word for us as people. you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you. We come vulnerable. Understanding that we are all internally like such middle school boys, middle school girls, desiring acceptance, desiring to fit in. And so we pray that you would speak to us by your word and by the power of your spirit. You would Work in our hearts that we might truly place our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our righteousness. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Again, we all have a desire to be accepted. So then how will we be found to be righteous? Well, the first thing that we see in our text is that if we are to be accounted righteous, our faith must lead us to refuse the law as a means of righteousness. We must refuse the law. Look down at verses two through four again. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now Paul, in these verses, is emphatic in the language that he uses, mustering all the authority that he possesses as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Right there at the beginning, he says, look, that is, Pay attention to what I am about to say. Then he also says, I testify. That is, he is calling himself as a witness to the truth. And what is he so emphatic about? Refusing the law as a means of righteousness. If you look at these verses, you see how Paul connects the act of circumcision with seeking to be justified by the law. Right. If you if you submit to circumcision, that means that you are seeking justification according to the law. And to be justified is to be accepted as righteous. It's to find a right standing before God and therefore before all the world. To be justified is the desire we spoke of earlier, the desire to be accepted, to be found worthy. And the Galatians are tempted to find their worth through keeping the law. They desire acceptance through outward marks. But Paul explained that every Christian must in faith refuse that path towards righteousness. They have to refuse this path because it is impossible to complete. It's a game you cannot win. It's rigged against you because if you accept circumcision, then as Paul says, you are obligated to keep the whole law. You can't just pick and choose, right? You can't just pick the outward marks without following all of them. If you're going to follow this path, it's all or nothing. You either have faith to embrace Christ's righteousness or you receive circumcision and set out on your own to fulfill every requirement by yourself. This is why Paul says that Christ is no advantage to those who seek righteousness according to the law. This is why he uses a bit of word play and says that those who accept circumcision are severed. They are cut off from Christ. This is why he says that they have fallen from grace because you can't hold on to your righteousness and Christ's righteousness at the same time. I know you have seen this before. A child sticks her hand through a small opening, whether it's through the slats on a chair or maybe through the railing of a, of, a, of a stairwell to grab some toy, right? They stick their hand through, they grab their toy and they ball their hand around it. And when they have their prize, they can't pull their hand out, right? They're stuck because they're holding on to this toy. And they can't have both. They can't have their freedom and the toy. And what Paul is saying is that if you are grasping on to righteousness according to the law, you cannot also at the same time have freedom in Christ. You have to let go so that you can be free. You have to let go of these outward marks, these outward signs, if you desire to have the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the two are mutually exclusive. Because faith in Christ means that you receive and rest in Christ alone for your salvation. The message of the gospel is that Jesus submitted himself to the law, right? He was circumcised and in doing so, Jesus took on the whole law. Yet as the son of God, he had the moral power to uphold the law and to even fulfill it. And he did this to free us from the law. As we read earlier in Galatians four four. you can put your eyes up just a few verses up there to Galatians four four. God sent forth his son born of a woman. Born under the law, right? He had to fulfill it. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus took on the whole law, fulfilled it, and then went to the cross to pay the price for our failure to keep the law. He took on your sin, Christian. And through faith, you have taken on His righteousness. He received your punishment and you have now received his reward. He was rejected so that you might be accepted. He was found guilty so that you might be found innocent. He was condemned so that you might be found righteous. And therefore, the only way to receive this gift of Christ's righteousness is turning away from your righteousness, turning away from your works and in faith receiving Christ. It's important that you understand this reality. Paul says, look, pay attention. And I echo Paul this morning. This is the most important thing that we need to get right in our lives. To be accepted. To be found righteous. Not by the world, mind you, but by God. You must place your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In His perfect life. His sacrificial death. His life-giving resurrection. You can't have Jesus and your righteousness. You can't have grace and works. This is what it means to be saved. And Jesus is calling you to trust in Him. right? To let go of your righteousness and to find your freedom and forgiveness in Him. To put down your weak and worthless attempts at acceptance. And to follow after Him alone. You see, it takes faith to refuse the law because we want a sign. We want a mark. We want a star that we can point to and say, look, I am righteous. To trust in Christ, though, means letting go of all of these means of being found right in the eyes of the world and trusting in Jesus Christ alone. You see, you must refuse the law. You must not only trust in Jesus Christ, but you have to refuse the law to trust in Jesus Christ as a means of righteousness. And the second thing that Paul teaches us in this text is that if you would be found righteous, then you must wait. You must wait by the power of the Spirit for your righteousness to be revealed. Look at verse 5 of our text. There Paul says, for through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, right? We have to refuse the law as a means of righteousness. Now Paul says that we have to wait for righteousness. What does he mean by wait? And when are we waiting until? Like, when will this righteousness come? When Paul uses the term wait, most often it's in reference to waiting for the coming and time. That is the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus Christ to make all things new and to judge the living and the dead. So we read in first Corinthians one that as Christians, we are to wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 1, that we are to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Or in Titus chapter 2, that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when Paul says here that Christians are to wait for our righteousness... He means that we must, in hope, look forward to the day when Jesus Christ returns. Because it's not until then that we will have an objective mark of our righteousness revealed, it will remain hidden until that day. The world will look at Christians and they will cast dispersions upon us because we will constantly be at opposition with the world. We'll want to have these outward markers of righteousness. We'll want to have some objective mark that we are truly right before God. But what Paul is saying is that we have to wait for that day and hope. We have to wait for the revealing of Jesus Christ because until that time, the world will look at us and they will see people who are not righteous. When we stand for the life of the unborn, we will be called ignorant. When we stand against sexual immorality in whatever form it may take, whether infidelity, pornography, or homosexuality, we'll be called prudish and even hateful. When we seek to share the gospel, we'll be called religious fanatics. When we refuse to mix the gospel with politics, we'll be called passive We'll want to give in. We'll want to wave a flag that shows that we're going along with the culture. That says, look, we're righteous. We're loving. We are informed. But as Christians, we must wait for our righteousness to be revealed. It is not the burden upon us to reveal to the world our righteousness. It is on Christ. And when He comes, He will reveal our righteousness. And therefore, we must wait in hope. For that is the day that when Christ returns, we will see our righteousness manifested. The Galatians were tempted by circumcision. I wonder, what are you tempted by? What sign of righteousness at work or in your neighborhood tempts you? What is the sign of acceptance in your school or in your home? Paul says, wait. Wait. Don't submit yourself to these outward signs of righteousness, but wait for the revealing of Christ. You see, we are called to place our hope not in objective markers, but fully in the coming day of Christ, when the final judgment of all humanity will come and all who are in Christ will be declared righteous, free from the guilt of sin and rightful heirs of an eternal inheritance. So how do we wait for that day? Well, Paul says that we're waiting by the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is what enables us to wait for Christ's return and the revealing of our righteousness. We wait by the Spirit because the Spirit is our seal, the seal of a future righteousness. The Spirit is the unseen mark that witnesses to us that we are righteous in Christ. For it is by the Spirit that we call God, Abba, Father. It is by the Spirit that we know we are members of the family of God. We might desire an outward mark, but the only true mark of our righteousness before God is the secret inward work of the Spirit. I know the temptation is to find your acceptance in these outward marks, but the Lord has always called His people to be inwardly marked by the Spirit as they wait for the day of Christ's return. You see, Paul is addressing this basic human desire to be accepted. The hope of righteousness. He says we cannot find our righteousness in outward markers like circumcision. And to pursue them is to deny Christ. Second, he says that by the power of the Spirit, we must wait for our righteousness to be revealed. We want to display to the world that we are justified, that we are in the right. We want to prove ourselves. But we have to wait, knowing that. That when Christ returns, we won't be ashamed, but we will be revealed as righteous. And the third thing that Paul says is that our righteousness will be displayed not by symbols and markers, but by the fruit of our faith in Jesus Christ. Namely, our love. Look down at verse 6. Paul says there, For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It's important for us to note here how Paul reveals the true value of circumcision by saying that it counts for nothing. This is highlighted by the fact that it doesn't matter if you are circumcised or are not circumcised, okay? There are Christians that are circumcised, And there are Christians who are not circumcised. On the other hand, there are people who are not Christians who are circumcised. And there are people who are not Christians who are not circumcised. There's no correlation. There is no causation between being in Christ, being saved, being accounted righteous and being circumcised. It doesn't count for anything, Paul says. But we need to understand that it meant a lot To a lot of people in Paul's day, circumcision wasn't just some secondary issue. It was a powerful issue. One that seemed to go at the very heart of what it meant to be a member of the family of God. And Paul says it means nothing in relation to their righteousness. In Christ Jesus, circumcision doesn't matter. And I wish there were some example from this past year that I could use that people felt was very important. Something that we had very strong feelings about. Some outward mark or sign that has driven people in the church to separate from one another. To speak all kinds of unkind and insinuating language directed at those who disagree with you. Not even commenting On what side I think personally was correct or not. Just how we treated each other in the midst of this. That we were willing to post things on social media and that counts. Okay? Social media counts. If you think you get a pass in the way that you talk to people because you're just typing it on Facebook or Twitter, you don't get a pass. Those are still your words. And you will be called to account for the way that you spoke about other people during this time. And the question is, are you going to be crude and divisive for the sake of establishing your righteousness and other people's fault over? Well, you might object and say, well, you don't understand this is different. Well, the only difference I see is that is such a small, such a paltry issue compared to circumcision. And circumcision counts for nothing. So be free, Christian. Be free from the chains of self-righteousness. That drove you to such behaviors. Be free from the need to establish your side, to establish your righteousness and pursue those things that do matter. Give your energy, give your attention, give your words over to those things that bring life to other people. Because all of these outward marks count for nothing but only faith working through love. For in the day of Christ's return, we will not be judged whether we got such outward issues correct, but rather if we loved those with whom we disagreed. Did our faith manifest itself in love towards one another, in joy? And peace, in patience with one another, in kindness towards one another, in goodness and faithfulness, in gentleness, in the way that we acted and spoke, and spoke, did it reveal itself in self-control? For love, love is the outward mark of our righteousness. Love is the fulfillment of the law. To love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the true mark of our righteousness as we wait for the day of Christ to come. The hope we have of righteousness comes as our faith in Christ issues forth in love, not empty marks of our outward piety. Galatians 5 begins with these words. For freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The particular issue that the Galatians were facing was circumcision. But the question you need to ask yourself is what yoke of slavery is threatening to enslave me? What mark of righteousness am I pursuing? We struggle and struggle to be accepted, to fit in, to be found right with others. But in Christ, you are free from the struggle to prove yourself righteous, to prove yourself good enough. You've been freed from the burden. So live in that freedom. When I was young, I had a very hard time with the idea of getting into trouble. I was sensitive to it. I couldn't stand the idea, particularly of a teacher punishing me. And one day I was asked to stay after class because me and two other boys had been caught talking during the teacher's lesson. And I was so overcome with fear that I would be punished that I quickly made up a lie so that I could get away. I told my teacher that my family was planning on leaving town right after I got home from school and that my parents had warned me not to delay, that I needed to get home as soon as possible so that they wouldn't be late. And So my teacher, because it was a small issue, let me go. And I look back on that and I realize I'd rather be a liar than somebody who owned up to their mistakes. And I think that in some way, we're all like that frightened little boy. We see our sin. We see our unrighteousness. We see our lack. We see our need. But instead of facing it, we're so scared of it that we cover it over with lies. We make up stories that we tell ourselves and we tell others that we think will free us. We cover ourselves with these outward markers that make it so that we feel like we can be free from our need and our lack. And we would rather lie to ourselves and to the world than face the truth that apart from Christ, we are not righteous. No matter our outward marks or our lack thereof. But Christ has set us free from the burden of these lies. For we need no longer construct a false reality in which we display righteousness to the world through symbols and words and rituals. Rather, we can face the reality of our sin believing that in Christ we have been freed from its guilt. And by the power of the Spirit, we can wait in confidence because our hope of righteousness lies not in ourselves, but it lies in Christ alone. And so I call you now. Do not submit to the yoke of slavery any longer, but look to Christ alone to find your righteousness and by the power of His Spirit wait for that coming day. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father God, would you give to us such grace by your Spirit that we might truly place our hope in Christ and in that coming day. We pray, O oh God, that you would give to us, Lord, such encouragement in your word that instead of devising all of these ways of displaying to the world our righteousness, that we would go forth. And that we would proclaim the free gift of Jesus Christ to the world. We pray this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.